I want to jump into this text today that is actually about baptism. And, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, over the summer, I don't uh, necessarily kind of plan too far ahead in what I'm going to speak. I kind of really um, leave myself some leeway in how God might lead. And this text just grabbed my attention in the last couple of weeks. It's Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. And uh, it's an amazing story that we, we get out of the church as they're exploding onto the scene, as people are coming to faith, but also as persecution is taking place. Acts chapter 8 verse 4 says these words. You can read it off the screen, and we'll go a little bit, by, a little bit into this chapter. Those who had been scattered, so people who were scattered because of persecution, preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed, many who were paralyzed were were lame, or uh, that were lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. And I, I love this, just as we stop here for a second to get some context. Here's the church prior to this is in Jerusalem. They're growing. They're growing so much that the apostles don't have time for anything that they choose seven people to serve uh, their mission, to serve the poor, to serve some widows that needed help, to serve part of the mission. And some of those, uh, two of those people were Stephen and Philip, who we read about. Stephen is so excited about his faith. He preaches this incredible message in front of a crowd and they stone him. They kill him. And this persecution breaks out. The church is afraid. And everybody but the apostles flee Jerusalem to places like Judea and Samaria. But what maybe they didn't catch in the moment, but we can see because we read the book of Acts, it starts to fulfill the agenda of Jesus. He promises that power will come on these people, these believers, and they will be witnesses to to the message of God's kingdom, not just in Jerusalem, but in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Philip, who's this deacon and a friend of Stephen, he flees to Samaria. And he's scattered, but not stopped. Just think about that for a second. He's scattered, but he's not stopped. He's scattered, but he's not secretive. He ends up um, sharing the gospel in incredible ways. So his scattering can sometimes seem negative, but something amazing comes out of that. that. Has that ever happened to you where you dreaded going somewhere? maybe a party, and you're like, I just don't want to be here. I hate being here. Why am I here? I hate this place. I don't even like the people here. And maybe that evening you met your future spouse. And you're like, oh, okay, well, that was a good thing, I guess. You ever, like, just part of some place that you didn't want to be there, but something good happens? Maybe someone drags you to the mall. You're like, I hate malls. I hate walking through this place. And then you find something you've been looking for for like three years. And you're like, okay, I guess this was a good day. Here's, here's the, the church. They're scattered into these places that they don't necessarily want to be in, but something extraordinary happens. My mom is, is with us today. I often forget to say when she's around because she's rarely around. So, hi, mom. Uh, she's, she's the woman who critiques our podcasts every week, all right? So, in good ways. Uh, so, so, she was telling me this story because in the 1940s, her parents... Uh, were Christians. They became Christians in a little town in Italy and often were persecuted, actually, believe it or not, by the Catholic Church and the government together. And there was a moment in the 40s where these Christians were getting sent to confinement. There was chosen cities 
that, that the government chose were these Christians who were taken out of their town and sent to these other towns. And these Christian believers had to flee or go to these other towns and they were not allowed to stay in their own village and be with their family. So these, these Christians got scattered all over Italy. And I was asking my mom, what happened? Was, did anything good come out of this? And um, besides the fact that many of these Christians found favor with the officials because they just said, these people, they're uniquely different. There's something here. You don't, you, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't keep you locked up like this. We should let you be free. But something that happened was the churches started to pop up in these towns where these Christians were scattered. So though they were scattered, though something negative seemed to have happened, something powerful for the gospel happened. And this is what happens with Philip. He's scattered to Samaria, but he's not stopped. Listen to what happens in verse 9 and, uh, and 11. Because as he arrives in this town in Samaria, there's this cultural craze going on. And something like people are just into something really big. Verse 9 says this. Now sometime, for some time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. Here's Philip. He comes to this town. He doesn't know what to expect. And there's this season, this cultural craze where people are freaking out over this sorcerer. Now, TV makes sorcery maybe look kind of cool. You know, if, if you're a kid and watched uh, Wizards of Waverly Place, it was a, it was a, Selena Gomez was on that, if anybody, you know, knows, knows who she is. But whatever. The point is that they make it look cool, right? And so, but, but a sorcerer is not really, like, if you were to look up, up in the dictionary, it's not a really a great thing to be. There's evil around that and demonic stuff. But he was like, he was doing stuff and it was this season of entertainment. He's like this hero figure performing supernatural stuff, wowing everybody. Maybe he's predicting some things for some people. Maybe he's reading somebody's future. Maybe he's doing something uh, supernatural in the moment. Maybe he's casting spells. People are falling for his show. People are falling for what he's expressing. And Philip walks into the middle of that in that town. But I think like any cultural craze, whether it's sorcery or something else, ultimately people are looking for hope in any way they can find it, right? People are looking for hope in any place they can find it. Now maybe we see it today in our world where people in the cultural craze of politics, they're looking for hope there. Or maybe they're looking for hope in achievement. Maybe they're looking for hope or we're looking for hope in an escape. Maybe some kind of financial security. And when we find it, we cling to it. When they saw Simon doing these things, they clung to him. He was a big deal for them. Today, it's not hard to find it hope advertised in every product available. And it, it you know, reminded me of this. Last week, my family and I, we were in Toronto, and we went to go see the Blue Jays play. Woohoo! Anyways, so we went to the Blue Jays play, and... Uh, Honestly, like my whole family, we all went. Like my brothers and sisters and nieces and nephews were like 18 people at the baseball game. And so we decided to try and go for, for supper beforehand and make it like a special occasion. And so five minutes from the stadium, there was Jack Astor's was there, that restaurant. And, and uh, I mean, you walk in, the place is hopping. Every other person has a Blue Jays t-shirt or a Blue Jays hat. And people, you know, it's loud and people are celebrating. And so um, just before we left, I went to the bathroom before we go to the game. And there was some inspiration on the wall. 
Um, I mean, who's not looking for inspiration in the toilet, right? I mean, people, and I'm rarely in the ladies' room, so I can't confirm that there's inspiration in the ladies' room. But in the guys' rooms, there's often these posters or pictures or different things. And I, I found this. It was like right in front of me, and it's, it's the Stein Club, the Jack Astor's Stein Club, Pledge Allegiance to the Pint, um, you know, so to, to the beer. And, and the interesting thing is if you join this club, uh, you can get your own printed 8-ounce cup, you can have access to craft beer that not other people have access to. You can get 15% off some food. But then I saw this line. It just jumped out at me. And you can get a sense of belonging that you're desperately searching for in life. In the bathroom of Jack Astor's <laughs> near the Blue Jays game. And, and we can find this, this pitch, this invitation almost anywhere. People are looking for hope anywhere they can find it. And I think, in a sense, Simon's pitch, watch me, buy my stuff, follow me. They didn't realize that it was empty, void, short-winded, lacked substance, and also connected to evil. But Luke tells us that a shift takes place as something new blows into town. And it's Philip. Now, Philip's not a sorcerer. Philip's not even one of the apostles. He's just, he's a deacon chosen to serve the widows that needed help in Jerusalem. But he's a believer and he loves Jesus and the gospel is burning in his heart. But he's, he has no lights or no smoke. He has no program or no show. He's not offering financial security or token VIP pass to his things or maybe the mug that you can get when you leave. But he's all, he's, he's preaching about Jesus. He's preaching about the gospel of the kingdom of God and he's seeing people heal and he's seeing people transformed and something beautiful is taking place. And I love verse 12. After it describes a little bit about what Simon is up to, in verse 12 it says, but... When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So you have Simon who was calling people to this shallow hope the shallow promise of the show. And you have Philip, this ordinary guy, calling people to the transforming life of God's kingdom. It's not that there was nothing spectacular because people were healed and people were uh, freed from demon possession, but that wasn't the main message. The main message was the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 6 says these people paid close attention to Philip. Verse 12 says that he proclaimed. He didn't show necessarily something like that. He proclaimed the good news. He spoke about it, the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. So for some time, Simon, as he's calling people to this false hope, because we're all, everyone's looking for hope where they can find it. But when, when they believed Philip, something changed. And it's this phrase that I just want to hover on a little bit and kind of keep the core of today's thought. It's verse 12. When they believed Philip, when Philip was proclaiming this good news of the kingdom of God, it says that when they believed, they were baptized. They were baptized. When they believed, they were 
baptized. It's this pattern that we see over and over again in the New Testament, that when someone puts their faith in Christ, when someone believes in Jesus, they are baptized. It's this response we see people making when they come to believe in who Jesus is for really who he is. And it's this whole response, right? The whole response is important. And, and I can hear it in Andrew and Page's story, this, this desire to be baptized. And I hear it in other people's story. And sometimes maybe they, they wait or they consider. And it's okay to be reflective on this step. It's an important step. You don't take it lightly. But yet at the same time, I love this, this, this connection here between belief and baptism that just happens so naturally and quickly in the New Testament. See, belief alone, belief alone can feel intellectual can feel inspirational, can feel emotional, can feel ideological. Because it's a belief. You have to come to terms that Jesus is who he said he was. And if you read anybody's conversion story, at some point, whether it's a long process or a quick process, they come to discern. They're they're like, I've read enough about Jesus. I've understood. I feel like God's revealed himself to me. I believe that he is who he said he was. There is a belief process in there. But belief and baptism changes your direction and your dependence. It's a change in direction and dependence. And when you put them together, so belief is, I'm not depending on this anymore. I'm not depending on that anymore. I'm not going to let this define my life. I've discovered something to root my life in. That's belief. It's a new source, a new dependence, a new strength, a new worldview, a new truth. So belief in the good news of the kingdom is that God sent Jesus to bring his kingdom near, to invite us in so we can participate in it, so we can be part of his family, so we can receive forgiveness, so we can have the promise of life in him. Baptism is not necessarily, I'm not going to depend on this or believe this anymore. It's belief turns to direction. I'm not going to go in the same direction anymore. I'm going to make a U-turn in my life and follow Jesus. So it's a new direction. It's a new orientation. It's a U-turn in life. So baptism is my following. My life is now following my belief. My life is now following my belief. I not only believe in Jesus, I'm following him. I've died with him. I'm buried with him. And I'm raised with him. And I love the image of baptism when we go down in the water and in a sense we allow our sins to die with Jesus. It's reflective of what he's done for us and we're buried with him and then we come up and just the symbolism of being risen with Christ. If there's one phrase you can remember today, it's this. Direction follows what we depend on. Direction follows what we depend on. Our direction follows what we depend on. My wife and I have this GPS, and uh, it's been on the fritz lately. And we took it somewhere, and uh, we thought it was working. I downloaded kind of the new software deal. And we're, we're just like, we're driving down into the States not far, a couple of hours, and we're like, this GPS has no clue where we're going. Like it just keeps, like it, there's never a plan. It never calculates. It's, it was just really messed up. And, and so many of us will depend on these things, right? And so if I depended merely on that particular GPS, 
was like, we're in trouble. So thankfully, I kind of, you know, took a picture of, of, the, of the map and some of the th- places I wanted to go, and I followed that. It, the reality is our direction follows what we depend on. And it's true for a drive as it's true for life. Our direction is influenced by what we depend on. If there's one thing we can leave with today, please grasp this truth and this idea that comes out of belief in baptism. Our direction is influenced by what we depend on. Because our direction follows our dependence, just like baptism follows belief. And here's the beautiful power of the gospel when we see it take place in someone's life, when, they, when their dependence changes and their direction changes. I mean, this guy Simon, a sorcerer? He's, he, something so significant takes place that he would, he, would, he would believe and be baptized? We don't know what happens to him in the, later on after this, but we know in that moment he responds. The power of the gospel is that this didn't happen just anywhere. This happened in... Samaria, the place where the Jews outside of Samaria and the Jews inside of Samaria, the, uh, inside of Samaria were hostile towards each other. They didn't like each other. They talked bad about each other. So now there's Jews who become Christians and they become followers of Jesus. And Jesus says, you're going to go to every nation. And Philip lands in Samaria. And I'm sure there's these kind of, you know, uh, past ideas and thinking like, oh, yeah, the Samaritans, we don't like them. Uh, Maybe they don't need anything. Maybe they don't need God's kingdom. Maybe they don't need this goodness. Maybe they don't need this truth. I mean, they're Samaritans. And the beauty that this happens in Samaria, that God's kingdom is being extended, that the Jews who turn disciples see past the hostility and begin to see other people as valuable in God's eyes. And I love how the apostles respond to this. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. They were Jews. Peter and John were Jews. I could think maybe Peter and John were thinking, ah, Samaria, I don't know if I want to go there. I remember crossing through with Jesus once. We met this woman. It was, you know, that was a good experience. What about the other Samaritans? But when they hear about this, They went to Samaria, and when they arrived, they prayed for these new believers. They welcomed them in, that they might receive the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Peter and John longed for them to experience the fullness of God and prayed, Lord, would you baptize them with your Holy Spirit? And then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Here's this moment where the, these apostles, former Jews, maybe still part of their Jewish identity, but now following Jesus, welcome these people into Christ's family, affirm their faith, and pray and bless them with the Holy Spirit. That's the power of the gospel. It can break through someone like Simon, and it can break into a place like Samaria. You know, when I think about this coming season and even our fall launch and, and what we hope to see happen and the people we want to see come to Christ, I, when I read this story and I, and I doubt that, that, that God can reach my neighbor or I doubt that God could break onto my street, I read this story and I realize if God could break through someone like Simon and God can break into a place like Samaria, why can't he break into someone's life like my neighbor or friend or family member? Why can't he break into my neighborhood and into our city? 
When the gospel says to someone like Simon, you're invited to enter God's kingdom, and the gospel says to those who are hostile to Samaria, they are welcomed into God's kingdom because we sometimes put up walls for people. That's the beautiful power of the gospel. But I want to just highlight, as we soon wrap this up, Something that tested Simon's new direction and new dependence. Simon was amazed that the apostles like did this. He he looks in the verses 18 and 19. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. And he said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Here's a guy who knows the business. Right? He did stuff and he performed things. And, and now he sees the apostles literally touching somebody, praying for them, and something tangible, evident, physical happens in this person's life. And, and, and he recognizes it as this, like, this is God at work. So Simon's old self is like, dude, I want that. I need that. Can I buy that from you? Can I have the formula? Can I have the dust? Can I have whatever it is that you did when you touched those people? And he wants that. His, his, part of his, his, it reveals his honest struggle, the, the testing and the temptation that comes in his heart. And the apostles say, no, like money has nothing to do with this. Take your money, keep your money. It's just going to go to garbage if you're trying to do this. And um, they're really strong words. Peter answers, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. And here's this word. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Man, I mean, I feel for Simon because he has like decades of sorcery work. He has decades of this business he's created through sorcery. He, have, he has decades of depending on something else. And sometimes people come to Christ and, and, and they, maybe they're 30 or 40 years old. And, and even if they're 16 or 17 years old, they have years of living life a certain way. Then they come to Christ and something amazing happens, but they default back. And especially if someone comes to faith in their 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s, how many decades of life? Have you depended on something else and now you depend on Jesus? I feel for Simon. And I'm glad Luke doesn't tell us what happens to him next because I think all of us would judge. Or actually, I wish he would have told us, maybe. But because I think some of us are like, ah, Simon didn't make it. We don't know. And I'm glad. You know, like, good, we don't know. Let's just kind of leave it to God, right? N.T. Wright, when he translates this phrase, verse 23, he uses these words. He says, Simon was still stuck. Simon was still stuck. Simon was still stuck. And Simon just believed and was baptized, but Simon's dependence was tested. His motives, his desires, his ambitions were tested in that moment. And I, I like that phrase. In, in a sense, he was still stuck. And, and I want to just chat with Paige and Andrew for a moment, and all of us can hear this, is that there's going to be moments after your belief in baptism where your dependence will be tested. Where your dependence will be tested. There's going to be moments where you might feel stuck. 
And it might be in the next day or the next week or the next year or when you're 25 or 35 or 45. It doesn't really matter. The point is there's going to be moments where your dependence will be tested and you might feel stuck. And I want you to know that that's, that's okay. That can happen. But by the same grace that God rescued you, he gives you on those days. And he gives you in those, he gives you in those moments. And he walks with you. The same way you, you declared God is always with me. He's not, always, he's not just going to be with you today because you made this decision or today because you came out of the water. He's going to be with you in a dark valley and in a difficult time and in a difficult decision. But he's with you. And for the rest of us to consider this, and I just ask you this question as I ask me, are you stuck anywhere? You know, like, yes, I'm following Jesus, but if you just really look at your life for a moment, is there anything that you're still stuck on, that you're still depending on, that you're, you're looking back and you're like, ah, oh, st- it's like, man, I think I want to depend on this. And maybe you don't want to share that because you've been following Jesus for 10 or 20 or 30 years. You're like, this shouldn't happen to me. I should just like be fully following Jesus and d- depend on him. Why am I, why is this, this uh, like what someone thinks of me, their appearance or this view of money? Why am, I, why am I still drawn to that? Why do I feel stuck in that way? What do you still reach for that you depend on more than Jesus? What do you still reach for? What do I still reach for that I depend on more than Jesus? You know, some of you might look at me today, Dave, the pastor, his son got baptized. Wow, that's a sweet deal. You know, just be happy. About it. And I'm so happy. I'm so grateful. But you know what? As any parent, I want two things for my kids, that they follow Jesus. And obviously, like every other parent, whether they're believers or not, that they just do well, right? That they're like good people, good character. But I struggle to see those things fast enough. Not because their journey should be faster, but because I have issues with that stuff. That's me. It's not them. And I get anxious when I see them tested. I get anxious because I, I, I'm like, oh, and I hope they make the right decision. Or maybe I should kind of put my hand in there. Maybe I should control. Maybe I should say something. Maybe I should send my son a text. <laughs> maybe I should send, so, you know, like, maybe I should do something. Maybe I should control this moment. And I was thinking about it, and I think there's so many ways that I can feel stuck. But this week, I, I could also want to control what happens in my kids' lives. And I was talking with my wife about it. And the next day, I read this, of all things, a tweet. An author that I like quoted another author that I like. And, and uh, God can speak through Twitter sometimes, I think. Except some Twitter handles. Um, read, and so I read this. The surest way to know that you haven't surrendered to God is to consider what you're worrying about. The surest way to know what you haven't surrendered to God is to consider what you're worrying about. And I just, it just hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, God, I, I don't think I've even surrendered the trajectory of my kids' lives to you. It's not that I shouldn't be concerned, but I, Lord, I think I over-worry about that. I need to give you that. If I, I believe in you, I'm living out my baptism. But I, want, I need to depend fully on you. And I need to depend on you for them too. 
the surest way to know what you haven't surrendered to God is to consider what you're worrying about. What do you worry about in an over-exaggerated way that indicates to you, I'm not depending on God, I'm I'm depending on other things. Or maybe I'm trying to control other things. So as we close today, can I just encourage you, these two words are there right in this text, the, the heart of the story, verse 12, they believed the message of the kingdom and they were baptized. Can I just, anybody who's here today that believes but hasn't been baptized, can I just tell you, those go together. If you truly believe in your heart, Paul says that Jesus is Lord and confess with your mouth that he's risen from the dead, you are saved. And belief and baptism come together. And so I want to just encourage you to put these two together, that if you truly believe in Jesus, the next time we say, hey, a baptism is coming up, or you can come talk to me today and say, you know what, I do believe in Jesus, and I loved Paige's words. Why, why wait? Why wait? Because belief and baptism go hand in hand. We depend on Jesus, and then he leads our direction. So belief and baptism together. So I encourage you. Um, if there's something holding you back, stopping you in your journey, in your discipleship, we want to help you walk through that. I want to help you walk through that to see these two come together. And not because it's some formula, not because, oh my gosh, we've got to get people through the water, but it's because our dependence and our direction, our belief and baptism go hand in hand. It's who and what we believe and depend on. And it's the direction that follows. Baptism is a U-turn. It's an immersion into the life of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And just to encourage all of us, there's going to be times where your dependence on Jesus will be tested. But here's where where we land today and we close. I'm going to ask you to stand as we say these last final words. Can I just say this to you? You are not alone. When your dependence is tested, when you feel like you're drawn back, I want, we need to understand you are not alone. I am not alone. Andrew and Paige is not alone. None of us are alone. And when, when Peter and John left Jerusalem and went to that Samaritan town to, 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 to bless these new believers, to welcome them in, to put their hands on them in prayer, you know what they were saying? They were saying, you are not alone. We are with you. God's family is with you. The community called the church is with you. You don't follow Jesus alone. You don't walk this path alone. You don't believe and get baptized and and walk this life alone. The apostles welcomed them into a spiritual family. You're not alone. There's community meant for that. Imperfect community. um, Not always working right community. But the church community. Kingdom community. And you're also not alone because something even greater and that, that transpires even space and place, and that's the Holy Spirit. The apostles determined that these new believers would know the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, yes, you've been baptized. Yes, you've made this choice. But you know what? We've seen people experience the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to have the power of the Holy Spirit with you. And so they prayed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And you're not alone because the Holy Spirit is with you. Um, one of our um, young, younger people here at Westside, Abigail, she was at our office a couple of weeks ago. We were, she was doing some volunteer uh, admin work for us, and so often we'll take a moment in the, to start the day in prayer. And so I said, hey, come and join us. 
So we all prayed, and, and, and um, sorry, Abigail, I'm saying this about you, but you can, it's okay, it's a good thing. And, she, and something that came up a couple of times, and I've heard her pray this, 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 say this in her prayers, like a preface in her prayers when she's praying for someone. Whether it's a friend or family or the church, she always says, Lord, fill them with your Holy Spirit. And, and she said it like three times in this prayer at the office. It just, I, it just, like the first time, second time, third time, and it's like, yes, Lord, we need to pray when we pray for people, that they're filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. So thank you for reminding me of that. And, and when we see what the apostles do for you and me. So as we close today, I want to just close with our hands open and asking the Lord, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you lead me and guide me and be with me? And when we do that, we're not praying, um, we're not praying a lucky prayer. We're not doing a lucky draw. This is not, oh, God, maybe I'll win the draw and he'll... No, God, God promised his Holy Spirit to us when we believe in Jesus. So we're going to close in prayer today. And if that's your desire, uh, I want you to just, with your palms open, and maybe you're here for the first time today and you're like, I don't, I don't know fully about the Holy Spirit. I'm just figuring out Jesus, but I want to move forward. Maybe as we pray today, you just pray that the Lord would show you deeply his love for you. And as you put your trust in Jesus today, just in the simplest way, you can just, just express your decision to follow Jesus, your decision to trust Jesus, your decision to let Jesus lead your life. And, and if you make that decision today, the promise is that he will give you his Holy Spirit too. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, let's pray this together. Father, Lord, we thank you for your grace that reaches into people like Simon the Sorcerer and into people like us. We thank you for your grace and your love and your peace and the reconciliation that comes from the cross that would challenge the first disciples to see the gospel at work in a place like Samaria. Lord, may it challenge us to see other humans with your love and grace. Lord, we thank you for your grace because it's reached into our hearts. And while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. So we say thank you for that. And God, as we express our belief in you, Lord, may it be belief and give us the courage to step forward in baptism. Because we do not only want to state our dependence on you. But God, we, we want to turn away and follow you and turn your way so that our direction may change, so that our life may change, so that our path may change. And so God, we state our belief in you. And for those who are baptized here, God, we, we just ask you that you help us to live out our baptism. And for those who are in the moment of decision in their spiritual journey, we just pray that your encouragement and love and revelation would fill their hearts. And God, for some of us that will hit a moment when we will feel stuck, God, the same grace that has saved us and rescued us, may we know that it is available in that moment, in that day. For there is no condemnation for those who are now in Christ Jesus. May your spirit be alive in us. And we close asking that you fill us with your spirit in greater ways. We know you're present, but we pray for your manifestation in our lives. 
We know you're present, but we pray for your manifestation in our gatherings. We know you're present, but we pray for your manifestation in our homes and in our neighborhoods and workplaces. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, and may we see the evidence of your work in us and through us and around us. And as we give this new season coming in just a couple of weeks to you, we trust you for great spiritual growth in our lives and great spiritual fruit in our church community and our city, not just for us, but all across our city. In Jesus' amazing name we pray. Amen.